This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Home is where the haunted Those wounds won't I feel Welcome to episode 79 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. As far as bands go associated with emo, there isn't one as revered as American football. I've had the esteemed pleasure to have every member of the band on the podcast this week to talk about their new album and, of course, the past. First up is American football's drummer, Steve Lamos. American football's new album is out October 21st on Polyvinyl Records and available on 180 gram orange vinyl, CD, cassette, or digitally through polyvinylrecords.com. Plus, all orders come with an instant download of the full album at checkout, so you can listen to the whole thing right away while waiting for your order to arrive. If you use the code WASHEDUP, all one word, that once again, washed up, you get 10% off your order. This is episode 79 with Steve Lamos of American Football. Yeah, so I, I, uh, my father was a musician, an accordion player, you know, which is always the coolest of the cool. Um, and he uh, had me in a polka band, which was also really cool. But no, I, he had me started. Uh, he had me start on violin when I was about four years old, uh, four or five, something like that. Um, and then I think uh, they kind of I showed interest in the trumpet maybe around six or seven. And so my mom and my dad got me music lessons, uh, and my dad kind of took me on stage with him. I don't know, maybe seven or eight, something like that. I was kind of a little novelty. I guess I could play trumpet well enough to play. He was sort of in this pop band. I don't know. I don't know what you call it, lounge band or something. Um, so I started performing with him pretty early. Uh, I played all through. Oh, go ahead. What year was that? Was that something? Were, were you in? Were you in high school? Were you middle school? No, no. I was. I was probably in second or third grade. So I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking it was probably 1980 or 81 when I first appeared on stage with them. So I was a little guy, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's been in it's been in my blood, and you know, and practicing that was kind of either part of our daily routine or part of our daily punishment. We had to practice before we, you know, both my brother and I. We had to practice before we go outside to play and all that sort of thing. But I, you know, I appreciated it. It, it taught me how to practice. It gave me a little bit of a sense of discipline and. Uh, it gave me something to rebel against. So by the time I was a teenager, uh, I was listening to more rock and roll music. Um, 
and I, you know, I started doing the this this sort of music much later. I didn't. I started playing drums when I was about twenty. Uh, my younger brother had introduced me to this whole scene. I saw Mike play uh, in Captain Jazz. I saw you know Braid and those bands. Some of the, uh, some of the bands that you mentioned earlier, and I was just so it's so exciting to go to those gigs, and it was you know the energy was uh, it was pretty incredible, and so I. I got into this music a little bit later, but it was like a nice kind of uh, alternative to the more structured stuff that I had had as a kid. But you were you, you had you were on a stage. You had you had performed. You had you know been able to interact that way. So you that must have been super exciting. As obviously super young, and then as you were getting into shows, um, that must have yeah. you, know, you kind of feel it. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, and I played in the in the band in high school, and even a little bit in college. I was, tried to do the jazz band at DePaul for a little while. wasn't terribly good at that, but but um, you know that was school stuff. What was so you know I did all the band and orchestra concerts that that you could do, and I was pretty you know we we played quite a bit. We you know there's band rehearsal every day, and then a bunch after school and whatever. But the only the the I would play like horn in you know the talent show or something. Somebody put a, together an R and B. R&B band or something like that. And then that was fun. You know, I wouldn't say the band and orchestra were fun necessarily. That was more about discipline in school. It was, it was really good for me, but then the chances to play with my friends and like, you know, experience it on a different, different way. It was really exciting. I actually started hacking around on bass before the drums. And I, I remember every one of those gigs, you know, we get to play a party or something in champagne and that was so exciting and so much fun. Um, and so it truly, that's for me when when this this version of the music bug really kind of hit me it was probably in my around twenty or twenty one and in a, in a way I've had it ever since. And so when you were so you know twenty, you're seeing shows, you're um, getting into that scene. What what about this scene connected? What about you know? Yes, they were your friends, or your brother was telling you about them. But what else about it? Because it gets referenced to this day, um, that time period and. You were there in it, kind of getting experience. What connected to you? Because you probably hadn't heard anything like that before. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so uh, I think I've thought a lot about this. I actually wrote something about it um, professionally not that long ago because Champagne, uh, when I was there, you know, I lived there almost 15 years. I started there my sophomore year in college and didn't really leave until I already had a PhD and then the job that I have now out here. But there was, you know, music was a social scene, a kind of, uh, you know, an emotional release. It was a, it was a group of friends. It was all those things. Um, and it was, you know, music too. I as I, you know, sort of said, I've always loved music, but it was way more than that. It was a friend group. It was a chance to go out and socialize. Um, you know, the recording studio, I still remember, you know, uh, people would let me kind of play trumpet on their records before they let me play drums on anything, you know, but I just remember going to the studio and that, that kind of excitement. It's, I think Champagne, the Chicago suburbs, because of what Mike and Bob Nana and Tim and all those people built in, you know, in the burbs. And then the, there was like the, the far western suburbs, like Smoking Popes and those kind of bands. I didn't like as much, but but there was a whole youth culture around these bands. I mean, basically, these suburban kids built their own entertainment system. You know, uh, they, they'd throw shows at each other's BFWs and... You know, and then the the larger kind of indie touring or whatever uh, punk rock touring bands would come through. It, so it would, it, they built the whole social scene. And Champagne, because it's in the middle of kind of cornfields, had an alternative slash indie music scene too. And you know, Champagne was between Chicago and St. Louis, so we would get a lot of bands to come through during the week. Not so much on the weekends, but you know, Wednesday, Thursday night, 
we had all kinds of bands come through. I saw Sunday Day Real Estate with about seven people, you know, at a place called The Blind Pig on their very first tour. It was that sort of thing. But, you know, when they got bigger, maybe they'd bypass Champaign. But it was a stop between two bigger cities. And so, uh, you know, all that stuff made for a really kind of exciting time. There was always a party or always a band to go see. And it was kind of a friend group. I thought, too, the interesting about that was, you know, it, it really transcended the, you know, Midwest emo that you instantly know what it sounds like, you know, you can list off, you know, five or 10 bands and there's such a connection to it that went outside of Champaign or Chicago or St. Louis. Just, it was interesting how it's kind of permeated the globe. And I, you know, honest to God, like in the last, before all this reunion stuff happened, I guess I didn't really know that. Um, You know, I, I knew those as people that I knew and I'd certainly, had some idea that, you know, uh, a ba- one band or another, you know, I'd hear about here, there, and everywhere. But I didn't realize that it had become kind of a thing. Um, since then, I've also, you know, I guess I didn't realize that all the Saddle Creek bands were from Omaha. I didn't realize, you know, I, I knew about the D.C. bands, of course, because we all idolized those bands. But what we're talking about are these interesting times and places where these scenes sprout up in a city and often in a city that maybe isn't that exciting. Otherwise, you know, Omaha is a perfectly pretty city, but it's not like, you know, New York city or something like that. Um, these, these little, these little towns cultivate these scenes. Uh, I'm thinking about Los Angeles and the SS, you know, the SST or Southern California anyway, and the SST thing, you get these times and places where these, these scenes sprout this sort of incredible, you know, activity. And so I guess, the Midwest emo thing must be now, you know, people are recognizing it as another of those kinds of scenes. I don't know if the Saddle Creek people get lumped into Midwest emo or not. Probably not. I, 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 I thought they were. I mean, I was going to see if it was, uh, you know, if it was a Bright Eyes, but if it was Treluma or Sweep the Leg Johnny, like that kind of, but then the same thing with if it was po- uh, polyvinyl stuff. Like it just kind of those, it seemed to connect for me, I grew up in Vermont, so I was like, "Well, that's just somewhere in the Midwest." Right. I've, right. Never, I've never been there, but I assume it's there's there's a connection. Maybe some people do, some people don't. Um, then the, the yeah. other, it, yeah, I just say it's just it's funny how you're right. Like you maybe not have connected with the Saddle Creek guys, but it it seemed to have some of the same qualities. Well, and, and, and now that I'm thinking like Louisville, you know, that, that that was a generation maybe five, six years before us, but Louisville gave, their, their, you know, Slint was, is the band that everybody knows. But there's, there's some band, God, they were called like Sunscream or something. I love that band. I wish I could find some of that music. Um, but, they, you know, that was not, I, did, I never drove to Louisville uh, from Champaign to go see music, but, you know, that, that wasn't too far away. And it, yet another example of these, you know, kind of windows of time in a certain place where, where people were doing music together. That was cool. And I think Matt, you know, Matt and Darcy were, were originally in Danville. The first time I ever saw Captain Jazz was actually in Danville. I don't know if you've ever been to Danville. It's a really, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, it was a, a manufacturing town and all the manufacturing plants closed. It's a pretty, you know, kind of... Um, uh, I guess economically depressed or whatever, but they were put on these shows and it was this amazing thing. And the fact that they migrated over to Champaign, I think because Champaign, you know, has connections to the university, but you got that little 30, 40 mile stretch, you know, where, where all the kids were, were looking for that. And I'm so uh, happy for Matt and Darcy that polyvinyl still exists and seems to be doing real well because, you know, that's something that they did out of the sort of love of what, you know, what the music was and the excitement of, of kind of having people come to watch it. Can you talk about, it's funny, you're kind of leading by the questions I have in front of me. You went right to it. Talk about, <laughs> no, it's great. Talk about 
polyvinyl because I think 20 years and the way Matt has started it and continued, it's like you can – I can feel the DIY and the ethic from the emails, from the records, from the packaging. Like there's just this – yes, there's labels that have heart and there's a symbol, but there's just something about polyvinyl to me that has just stayed so true. Yeah, there. I mean, there. Uh, it's funny you say that too, because I just I just finished. There's a biography of or, or whatever a his, history of Merge Records. I don't know if you've seen it. It's beautiful. It's it's there's a, there's a ton of uh, visual material in there. I think it came out 2009, 2010. They clearly had that same relationship to you know to Chapel Hill or whatever. Um, but Matt and Darcy are just I think at, at their core just good people. And I can say so you know in all these years, uh, American football stop whatever 99. Up until 2014, I always got some kind of royalty check. My, you know, not not terribly, you know, not like life changing money, but certainly not nothing either. And they could have I, Holmes and I have talked about this a bunch. Like they could have not paid us ever, and I don't think we would have known the difference because we weren't really plugged in. I, so I suppose by virtue of getting royalty checks, I must have known that the record was selling somehow. But I, I didn't really, I was just sort of like, oh great, you know, I can whatever, I can put this in my kids' college fund or whatever. Um, they never once took advantage of us or stopped paying or kind of screwed people over. So I think that's the best of the DIY ethic. It's not this kind of, you know, we're better, holier than thou or cooler than thou. It was like, no, we made an agreement and the record's still selling, so here's your half. You know, it was always a 50-50 deal. Um, and so when, you know, the opportunity came to work with them again, I mean, it was a no-brainer because they had always been uh, so fair and so honest with us, I felt like, and they, they had no reason to be, you know, it's not like we did any, I know they have a relationship with Mike too, but we, you know, we never did any press or my God, or even played, you know, much less tried to press, you know, push this record that they put out for us. And, and nonetheless, they, they paid us. And so I, I think that at their core, it just shows that they're decent human beings. Um, and I haven't heard anybody say uh, a single negative thing about them uh, from a band perspective. And again, you know, I, I know now a few polyvinyl bands with, everybody's everybody's thrilled so if that just means you know doing business the right way or, or kind of keeping it local or, or you know representing the best of, of what champagne urbana is um uh, you know they're they're fantastic so i'm i'm super happy to to you know to have worked with them and to continue to do so and it's funny that you kind of someone had said earlier in another interview you know this two-year art project well seems like it's gone a little bit longer <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. I, I can't. I still don't understand it. Um, and and I'm I'm certainly grateful for it. But you know, we really did sort of catch lightning in a bottle, and really had very little to do with us. I just you know, this is kind of weird uh, luck. And we're certainly grateful for it, but it is very unusual. Well, well, I'll say this: when you were probably still oblivious, I was getting emails at around 2009, and I was still doing the site. And, or I was doing the site and I was kind of distraught because the mid-2000s was an interesting time where people were using the word and it wasn't what I remembered. And right, it right, just, right. And I remember getting these emails and it was from a guy in Russia or someone in uh, the West Coast or Mexico or whatever it was. I was all over the world. People would send me their songs and they say, hi, Tom, we, we're making emo music um, and it was so basic, but they were like, our influences are mineral American football and Captain jazz. And I would listen to it and I was like, wow, this is really bad. But I can like, I, it was like, you're they're They kind of jumped and went back when 
at times, sometimes that's hard to do because you think right. something. So for the younger, a younger core of people to sort of be able to look back, I think is a really good thing to say that that did have some longevity um, to it and there was legs to it versus something that was kind of flash in the pan. Well, and, you know, and anybody who plays music, I, I, what else could you ask for? You know, the fact that, that, that A, that people are listening to it, B, that they're, they're holding it in some sort of, you know, regard or esteem. And, you know, as you're describing, it sounds like some people saw it as enough of a touchstone to try to say, oh, I'd like to do, you know, X or Y or Z that, that is reminiscent of that. What else could you ask for? If you play, if you've ever played music, that, that's all you want. You know, you, you, you want to be acknowledged and, and to be part of that conversation because you know me and Holmes and Mike and you know we didn't know Nate at the time but we've all had those billion bands that you know oh my god this is the greatest thing in the world and it's even cooler when no one else knows what it is and you know you try to copy it or steal from it or you know even blatantly rip it off and that's 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 part of the the joy of doing this yeah so I wanted to you know talk about the some of the qualities of of American football and sort of your playing and I loved some I read somewhere you know lyrics were an afterthought and I approached that way with my shitty bands that I had where, you know, basically sometimes you didn't have a PA and I just made up lyrics because I'd rather get the riffs down. And right. I think as a drummer, I always kind of laughed because whenever the drummer brings up a guitar part or a vocal line, you're like, that's nice. Uh, get back right. to the kick drum. and but, exactly. but for you to have the trumpet and for you to then voice that melody, it was – I mean what an interesting – thing for you to then express yourself and then it magically you know starts becoming part of the sound yeah and you know and it wasn't it wasn't calculated i told you before it's just one of the instruments that i was playing and you know it was i suppose less uncool than trying to play the violin in a rock band you know um but you had but a, there was no but you had there something was no, to, be able to say it you had like a way to show mike this is what i this is my idea Exactly. And, and to, to be able to, to sing a melody or whatever, to play a melody. And then, you know, at times he would bounce off the melody or, or vice versa as a, as a vocalist. And it's not, you know, to say that the vocal, I don't think the vocals were an afterthought so much as they were, it seemed to me that he, he did them last, but they were, they were in balance with the music in a way. It, it wasn't singer songwriter stuff, you know, it was like, oh, those guys would write the guitar parts first because that was obviously, you know, where they started thinking and maybe, maybe it was the most fun for the two of them to sit down and do it that way and then Mike would add these things because, you know, these are pop songs. But I think first and foremost, they were kind of guitar noodles. Oh, that sounds cool. Let's mess around with this. And then the vocals would kind of come in to complement that stuff. And the, the, the trumpet, I guess, comes from that same place. Yeah, I mean, again, it's that happy accident. And yeah. and I think you guys doing that, it wasn't the, well, we don't want to sound like braid or any you know discord stuff we want to kind of do our own thing and i think the other part too i thought was great is your sort of you know jazz uh love of jazz if um i know you'd mentioned like miles and stuff i mean that's a great other piece to bring in that a, a lot of people aren't at that time and and again that was just you know where i was coming from i i've never i've never been accused of being a jazz drummer that's for sure and that one, or just you know you love the music I, I do, but but it, I appreciate you saying it that way because I, I'm not a jazz drummer. I can't play the music. I love it. I, I love it and appreciate it, but I can't. Play. I tried to try it out for one of the jazz bands at Illinois, and it was sort of like, oh god, you know, I was never so embarrassed. It was it was rough, but but that's okay. You know, I, I think I one of the things I come to terms with for myself is I like you know I like pop music, indie music, rock, whatever. Uh, I I am I 
firmly work in that world, but it doesn't mean, you know, my favorite jazz, honestly, is the late 60s, early 70s, Miles and McLaughlin and those people who were doing, Jack DeGeneres were doing jazz rock fusion anyway. I think that was, that's such interesting music. Um, and so, you know, beg borrowing and stealing riffs outright from those guys, uh, that's how I felt like I could enter into this. And, you know, so, so Mike was listening to Sundays and those kind of pop bands and Holmes was listening to, you know, Beatles and can and the weird stuff that he, he would bring over to me. And then I brought that flavor in and, you know, and then here, here it was. It was interesting. I was, I met, um, and it's, and it's kind of related where you think when you listen to American football, they're like, Oh, they listened to X, Y, and Z band from the scene. And you guys had listed off bands that have nothing to do with it. And me being right. completely oblivious, I had met, uh, Eric from Christie front drive who through yeah, a mutual yeah. friend, I mean, I loved that band. So I literally just grilled him at the bar. I don't know what time it was. He was so nice to me. And I was like, what did you listen to when you made the record? And he goes, Buffalo Tom. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally believe it. <laughs> and I went, I have no idea who those people are. And he's like, go buy their records. So I went to yeah, the yeah. record store. There was still a tower in New York City. And I bought Buffalo Tom records. <laughs> because, right. But it's right. like you're uh, you know, kind of opening up. Um, things that maybe a certain group of folks like myself didn't know or listen about. And then that sort of moves you off into the, you know, indie rock world or it goes into hardcore. It seems that obviously the discord stuff was always there. I feel like with anyone, but uh, it's just interesting. You know, you guys bringing those three sets of ideas uh, came, came into one. And again, none of that was necessarily emo. Right. I, you know, and I think if, if you think about the activity of playing in bands, I mean, we would I'd go see bands all the time. Braid was one of my favorite bands. But I, I think there would also be some sort of almost, I don't know, ego thing or something where you wouldn't want to, this is my competition, you know what I mean? Or these are my friends, but this is my friendly competition. You wouldn't want to borrow from them directly. You'd want to go to a different source and then, you know, kind of play the same things and see, you know, who did who did what with these different influences. Um, and so that, you know, that music scene was awfully important just to, again, to social life, to playing, you know, we did that, um, that thing in, uh, Atlanta a few weeks back and it was, uh, Raina Maria was there and promise ring and Hey Mercedes. And I, and I just, we were all joking like this, you know, who would have thought in 1997, you know, cause we played with every one of those bands at one point or another, who would have thought in 1997 that literally 20 years later, old you know, old fat selves would be here in Atlanta doing this for people half our age. It's crazy. But that's you know the scene was a was a peer group and a you know sort of a, a musical group. But I think each of those bands borrowed from you know pretty different influences, even though they all got kind of grouped together into that whatever you know that scene was. Yeah, I think the the scene itself and 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 a word like emo kind of goes through a lot of different phases, and all of the bands have been connected to it, let if they wanted or not. And right. I think you guys have had to answer that many times. And it even then, even when I got the record at the college radio station in 99, you know, I was like, I love this because A, polyvinyl, B, uh, love Kinsella because I love Captain Jazz, uh, right. you know, loved that it was really open sounding. It wasn't like I liked it because I thought it was emo. Right. And... I've, have you guys had? I mean, obviously, every single interview is going to bring it up. My title is the has the word emo in it. it you know, Mike's kind of said, you know, that's kind of tired of it. I'm definitely, you know, I almost think of you guys are sort of on this different 
plane for this world. But also that whole thing about emo being sad. And I've never thought that. And I've never thought your music was sad. And some people, you know, took that to the nth degree with it being, you know, if it was taking that really seriously to cutting or, you know, suicidal thoughts and things like that. Like the music you guys wrote never was sad to me. Did you guys think about that or... No, you know, I, I've never, I, I, at, at this age, I appreciate that, you know, every, everybody's in the genre, whether they want to be or not. And so when I was younger, I'd say, oh, you know, I hate that word. I don't hate the word. It, it's not how I would describe this music either. People ask me, you know, at, at this age, what, what kind of music is it? I, I'm more likely to call it indie music because I think that that's the ethos that I'm more interested in. You know, indie's kind of like, oh, you know, we're going to do it on our terms, blah, blah, blah. And emo does have some of this, especially since that time, you know, some of the associations you talked about, including, you know, self-destructive ones and that sort of stuff. But that wasn't, I don't feel like that was the version of it that we were living. Uh, there wasn't that kind of sadness. I think that was, you know, right to spring and Fugazi, people were calling emo, at least I remember that they were, as this kind of, you know, music of release or something like that, you know. And there's suburban kid angst, I get it, suburban white kid angst on the one hand, and on the other hand, I thought that was a healthy you know, to, to release, you know, feeling, to, to, to use music as the occasion to release feeling or emotion, that, that's a good thing. Um, so I don't think, you know, our music was never, never, uh, I never, certainly never associated with the, 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 you still there? Oh, never associated with the negative things that you're talking about, but more as, um, I don't know, a, a release or a kind of, this this will sound corny, but the first time I saw Captain Jazz, I'll never forget. I remember every minute of that show. It was semi-spiritual kind of thing. I don't know what it was about that particular night, or you know, I I'd, I'd seen them uh, in other contexts too. But there was something just about it. Was in a, I was in the back of this room in Danville, you know, this kind of rundown place, and I was my brother had said, "Oh, you got to go see this band. They're amazing." And it was it was the, one of the coolest. Uh, I don't know. I guess emotional experiences I had had in music to that point, but it was not. That wasn't negative at all, and certainly wasn't sadness. It was this kind of this awesome joy, like oh, you know, here we all are, and here's this music uh, that that kind of takes you to a different spot. And it, that was cool. I almost wish the term was euphoria, because that's how that I, would, that's how I feel about it. That's a smart way to. I, I think that's a really smart idea, actually, uh, because that that's much that's a much better word to describe at least what what I felt like all those bands were going for. Uh, sadness by no means or any of that sort of stuff or negativity was not the goal it was the opposite it was to get out get out of that mindset so euphoria is a great that's a great point it's that kind of like the moment you think everything's gonna break but it doesn't right 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 and that's and you, you get to whatever whatever's next even if it's just for a couple minutes exactly. and you know and i love that like none of the we we certainly all take a drink now you know here and then but that, that wasn't part of that scene for us you know it was the, the music was that kind of thing there was not uh, i didn't know ver- hardly anybody who who really even drank that much much less used drugs or anything like that because it seemed like it was coming from a little bit more of an innocent place and the euphoria was you, know, you pursued it that way you know as opposed to, to other more self-destructive kind of ways i'm sure that stuff was going on but i i didn't feel you know like i saw a lot of it i was so oblivious to it i was straight edge vegetarian i didn't see any of this right <laughs> well, and you know what and this was this was it was cool to be those things you know what i mean in a way that obviously it was much less cool uh, in other contexts. And so, I, you know, I'd never, I'd, I'd have any food politics. I didn't really have any sense of, it was more like, oh, I like the scene. And then I would run into people or there'd be, you know, some, some you know, 
pretty young woman or something, I'd be like, oh, she's cool. You know, what's her, what's she about? And then I'd learn that she's vegan or whatever. And I, you know, I'd have to try, <laughs> try to fake, fake knowledge of those things to, you know, to try to get a phone number or something. But, you know, that was, that was part of it too. Um, uh, you know, a scene will allow people to kind of grow a little bit. And so for me, you know, sort of boring suburban white guy, it was, it was fun. Yeah. The other part I thought, you know, this song never meant like I call it the stairway to heaven of emo mm. now because oh. if if I don't play it at now I've been doing a DJ night for five years I had DJs in college literally if it doesn't get it's kind of like if you don't have a Bane sweatshirt at a at a hardcore show the show can't happen <laughs> the same thing with this song and I love your quote recently where you were like well that's done never gonna play that again and I'm not really that crazy <laughs> about it what about this song resonates. For you guys, you know, I don't know. I, I like the song, and, and what, what, honestly, what I what I meant in that, um, please, in correct. that particular quote is <laughs> is I remember recording that song on the drums and thinking that was the take that I'll never play no that shit. song better. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is to say, that's the one thing I vividly I have I have an actual visual memory of putting my sticks down after that take. And being like that—that's it. That—that—that that, that was the one. Um, and I don't think I've had that. I haven't been in the studio that much, you know, since. But I've never had that since. And I don't even think before this kind of clear sense in my own head that that was the one. Um, that's also a function of how we recorded things differently back then. So it wasn't that I never wanted to play the song again. It was like, no, it, I'm glad that the recorder was on because that was a that was a take start to finish. We didn't we didn't piece that together or anything. That was the one. And I said, ah, we got we nailed it. You know. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm flattered, I'm tickled to death and that, that you'd even joke about it, you know, being the kind of stairway to heaven where it's awesome. I, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> if I knew uh, the, why it was evidently so popular, we, hell, we'd write a bunch more of them. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I like it. It's, it's a 4-4 four, four song that's chopped up in a funny way, and I guess it, obviously the, lyrically it resonates with people, and I think musically it's just a little bit quirky and offbeat. Um, I don't know. I can't help but think, you know, if it were, if that record came out today, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the quote-unquote single because people would think it was too weird, you know. So they'd they'd ask for something else. So it's funny how you know, uh, the fact that we didn't have any kind of business sense or any kind of you know there were there was none of this, this the trappings of making records, um, you know, it, it it became what it was. Do you think if you, I always I love this question because I think as older bands it's fun to ask and it's also fun to ask younger bands that have had social media this entire time like if you had it when you were breaking up the first time or you know mike's in the studio and you all tweet out just finished a song called never met like that didn't right. happen you guys were in these moments and times of place and i love that that's the part of the euphoria i like too is that because right. i don't have photos i don't have right. any any digital remember i just have my memories and these records to look at and maybe that's the the other part about it, this everyone only had this CD to look at. It's not like you guys were tweeting about never meant. There's, there's no doubt. Uh, we've, we've talked about this both jokingly and not like the fact that we didn't even pretend to touch this music for so long was the, in, in retrospect, the best possible marketing. Move. We, we had no, you know, because there was no, there was nothing to interfere with people's sense of what they wanted this to be 
Um, and, and there's something beautiful about that. But then on the other end, you know, now we're making this new album in, in a very different kind of world. And it's pretty clear that it's messing with some people's, you know, impression of what, what this is or what it ought to be or what, you know, how music needs to be made or not. And I think for some people that, 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 that they're disappointed, you know, they're disappointed that we're, we're calling ourselves a band again and blah, blah, blah. It's totally different. Um, it couldn't have. And so I think there's something beautiful about, you know, the way it went down and it's not possible to make a record that way ever again. No. And I would, I want to address, I actually wanted to talk about the new album a little later um, and some of the specific songs, but specifically about the response and how you guys are going about this. I think you're doing the same way that you would have, if you had that opportunity back in 99 and that stuff was available. Let's pretend that 2016 technology was in 99. I think you would have done it the same way. The beautiful videos, the, 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 the aesthetic of this house that turns into this sort of bigger story and so many connections. And personally, some of the responses of this, Oh, it just sounds like Owen, um, is to me really short-sighted. You know, Mike is Owen. It probably. I mean, it's his fucking like voice. Owen. I think it's great. I like Owen. So I, every time I hear that, I think that's fine. Yeah, it should it should sound that way. Um, but it's all you I don't guys. Know. You it's know, all we, you we, guys together. I'm sorry. It's all you guys together. That's the thing that it's like. This isn't just Mike. This is everybody. This is all of you guys played a a, a part right. of this. And 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 it is. It, we we made. I mean, this record is the record that we wanted to make having having had this cool experience in the last couple of years um and you know i've i've said in a couple of recent interviews and and uh, i've said it in front of the guys too this is exactly the same record i think we would have made if we had met each other two years ago and said hey you know with having none of this history and said hey let's see if we can make music together this is what came out um and in that sense you know it it, it I've not been a part of the internet. Obviously, I use it in the same ways lots of other people do. But social media, the, my limited Facebook, I, I got rid of Facebook. My life is better not knowing what my friends from high school, you know, whatever their weird political views are. Um, so, so now watching this happen and trying to understand, I have a friend who studies this stuff, actually. She studies the, <laughs> how rhetoric circulates on the internet. I'm, I'm sort of curious as to how the record gets taken up or not, but I'm also, you know, I'm trying real hard. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I don't need to spend my time trying to figure out who's, you know, whatever trolls are and all this, all this language I don't even know. Uh, I'm proud to, you know, I'm glad we made this. I, I think it's good. I hope other people think it's good. It's allowing us to keep playing, which I think was the whole point. Like we wanted to keep doing this together and we're not just going to keep playing those same songs because well, that, enough's that, enough, you know? I think you hit it on the head and uh, you should be a co-host on the podcast because you'd be fantastic. The idea is if you, as you saying, uh, you know, keep playing, that's it. I go, if you're if you're going to, you know, talk shit on a record don't you want them yes you can have a constructive criticism and say it sounds like this and i wish it fantastic but this this sort of troll thing of like don't you want the band to come back because you get to hear the hit again you know they're gonna play it but you also get to hear these new songs and i there was a band i just saw taking back sunday and you know they kind of came in early 2000s were in this sort of emo boom and then have continued on and they're they've yeah. been around they have a new record. They played it front to back. And I just thought, you know what? This is great. Their, their fans are being open to this. And a lot of times I got a lot of flack for supporting the new record. It's not like the first one. Well, if they only make the – if you guys only just played Never Meant, 
and just tried to make that all the time, you would get bored and you wouldn't play anymore. Right. So it's like this, it just seems like, um, and also the other part too that you kind of mentioned is you're only seeing the, the negativity. Like it's not like you're leaving a Yelp review if the steak was fantastic. Like you're only going to leave it if it sucks and the waiter was a horrible person. Like the amount of times you're, you're more apt to say something negative, um, I think, than positive on those situations. So um, I bet I bet you're going to – I think you're going to have a great response to this when everybody hears it. And you, you know what? And, and what's I, – I, I think you said some important things just now. I, you know, at the end of the day, it's, all I can think is – we as people, this has been such fun. It's such a cool opportunity. Me as a human, you know, sort of a human being, like I can't believe that, I still can't believe all of this is happening and it's amazing. I also get, I was, music was my life when I was younger. You know, I get the whole response and, and I, I respect it in a way. It's sort of, this was a masterpiece and all the rest of this is crap. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, the what was that movie? Uh, oh my God, with Jack Black and John Cusack. What's that? What's High that Fidelity. Called? Yeah, you know, you know the, the Jack Black character. Like, I was that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I knew a million people. Like, I get it. And so, so people are entitled to whatever opinion they want. And and again, I I think the fact that we never touched the record the first time around allowed for a kind of mythology, and people could write onto it what they needed to, and and that didn't hurt at all. Um, you can't live your life that way. I, I'd said, you know, joking jokingly before. I won't mention specific bands, but I've said stuff like, oh, you know, they were much better when they were on drugs. Well, that's kind of a jerk thing to say if you're talking about human beings. You know what I mean? How could how could I even make that joke about, oh, my God, you know, so thank God somebody's got his or her life together, whatever. But there is also something to be said for, you know, art should stand alone. No, people should be able to listen to the record and say whatever they want. And that has nothing to do with whether... Uh, you know, I'm happy or not. That, that they're two independent things. That said, I'm also happy to say I'm making this music with my friends because it's fun and because I like to do it and because I'm proud of it. And I don't really, you know, some 18 year old kid is able to have whatever opinion he or she wants, but that has no relationship to me. Does that make sense? Yes. And I never, I when I got the record, I'll be honest, I liked two songs and I put it on the shelf and I played <laughs> Promise Ring more. I played yeah, Jimmy yeah, yeah. World more. And I was like, okay, this was awesome. I love Mike. Um, you know, love all that stuff. Like, love Polygon. I'm going to kind of put it on the shelf. Again, it just kind of, it, it had this, and I think you're right, that 15 years got all these emotions. And now when you guys are sort of opening up that box, those emotions are coming back. And um, I think those those Webster shows, I remember going back really quickly to say hi. I probably said hi to you really quick. Your faces were all like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. But, you know, Tom, you said something so interesting, too. There was no... I mean, we lived through it the first time. We, very few people came to see us. The shows were... Yeah. You know, we didn't know about guitar techs or anything. They were they were exercises <laughs> in pulling teeth. Um, and people hated this record when it came out. I mean, Pitchfork gave us a very flattering review of the reissue. The first one ain't so flattering. It's actually it's it's actually the opposite. And so you know that's part of this too is that uh, <laughs> we having having the a little bit of age and distance. Like you know the initial reaction to that record, people. Some of my best friends said, "This is boring." Oh my god! I'm You're telling you, I like two songs. I like two what? songs, and I moved on because you know nothing feels good was around or whatever it was. Whatever you know, whatever jam was coming out from. I was like, that's that's my jam. So, so you know, 
that something gets legs later on, that, that's just, that's, that's luck. And, and you can't predict it and you can't know it, but at least, <laughs> you know, there's a historical record with reviews and things of it the first time around. And it's been so interesting to watch it become something it definitely wasn't to start with. And I, I don't know what magic, you know, who, who waved a magic wand, but amen. I always knew I was going to lead a movement 15 years <laughs> retroactively without doing a damn thing. That was my calling in life. Yeah, so there I, you go. I know you wrote that in your diary. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, it's interesting you mentioned about the reviews because it seems like there's this moment where all of these records are getting all this praise and everybody's kind of falling over themselves to tell. And I'm like, where were you when all right. these things were being – I mean – these bands were just not touched by anybody. I mean, I would see, just like you said, Sunday Day Real Estate to seven people. I saw Elliot at this, you know, Cat's Cradle, North Carolina. There must have been 12 people there. Right. I mean, it, whatever the band or time or whatever happened, it just, it was not top of mind. And then now to see all of these things just get covered and like falling over themselves, I'm like, I could have used you like 10 years right. ago. <laughs> I could have right. used well, you. <laughs> There are these, you know, I don't, I don't know how that works culturally or spiritually or anything else, but there are times and places, you know, we've joked too, like we went from being able to do no, no right whatsoever to for, there was a little bubble there when we were playing live where we could do no wrong. I had a couple shows where the trumpet wasn't working and it just, to me, it just sounded like I, I sounded worse than I ever sounded in grade school on the trumpet and people would cheer and laugh and I screwed up one time and somebody yelled out, yeah, we all make mistakes. And I thought, well, this ain't going to last. You know what I mean? Like I could come up here and. I could come up here and, you know, take my pants off and, and people would, you know, ye- yell and scream and cheer and whatever. That's going to go away, too. You know, you go from these times of being able to do nothing wrong to, you know, reality is going to set back in and, and some people are going to dig things and some people aren't. But it, it is funny how, uh, you know, I think people, it, whether it's art or anything else, there are times when they like things that they understand and aren't changing because the world is such a crazy place and there's so many bad and uncertain things going on that they look, you know, they long for a kind of nostalgic, oh, I remember that, or this music reminds me of a simpler time or whatever. And um, if you could participate in that's awesome. But I also understand then how that would set people up to have different expectations for, you know, life here and in the here and now. What's interesting is I wished, based on hearing this new record, um, and I've gotten to hear the whole thing and really spent a lot of time with it, I wish you never left. Because to think of what you guys had put together for this one, what could have been five years ago, or what 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 could have been if you kept going, and a little a little piece of me is like shit. It took this long for this. I wish um, we can have more. I mean, one of my favorite favorite songs. I love to maybe talk about it. Uh, maybe my favorite one on the record is "Home Is Where the Haunt Is." Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is I, just that oh, that on. one hit me. Like there's a, I put a record on and not the background per se, but I have it on and I wait for my ear to perk and I kind of look right, at right, the track right. list. That one just, it, again, it was that euphoria feeling. Mm, cool. What about that song? Did you guys, I mean, was it something early on when you were get, getting back together and was this an old riff that someone had? Well, a little backstory on that. I think, let me think about that one. I think that was one, you know, the, most of these songs either come, either Mike, uh, Steve comes up with an initial riff or Mike. I think that was a Mike song uh, to start with. Um, and I, it's it's definitely one one of the songier of these. You know what I mean? It's sort of verse-chorus. I think he does especially clever things with wordplay in that song. 
I think I, I like how it's recorded too. I think it's sort of, there are a couple songs where we, uh, you know, everybody has his song on that record. It was like, ah, if we only had a few more, you know, days in the studio, I would have done X or Y or Z or whatever. I don't think any of us has a single thing we would change about that song. So maybe that's part of what you're hearing too, is that, that feel, that one feels done, but it also, I mean, it feels like, 70s FM rock in a way, you know, in a way that other other stuff we've done hasn't. And so it's generically a little bit, you know, the genre is a little bit different than some of the other stuff that we've done. But I like that song a ton. And I, I mean, I love uh, I love playing, you know, that's just a, a, a groove drum beat. It's just 4-4. Four, four. There's nothing fancy about it. There's the way they constructed the melody over the, you know, where the symbols change is a lit makes it slightly unusual, but it's, it's this four, four rock song. It's all about the feel. And we never do that to me. That's like the, one of the punkest songs on the record. Cause that's never something that I would play in the old days. I'd always just play, you know, polyrhythms or whatever weird stuff just to do it. Well, I always, I always, I always laugh about too, is it, I call it like the Tom Petty drum beat. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, totally. You know what? It does. It's, it fucking works. And that I would have punched you in the face 15 years ago for accusing me of playing a Tom Petty drum beat, but now I embrace you with love because I love Tom Petty. That guy understands what a song is. He understands how to. He understands how to appeal. I mean, he he knows how to write the perfect pop song. So, and, and back in the day, I've been like, God, oh, that that music is you know that sucks. It's not it's not uh, interesting enough or progressive enough or weird enough for me. And and I, you know I think age, if nothing else, like. I am so uh, both, you know, incredibly entranced by people like Tom Petty and jealous. Like, how on earth do you keep churning this out, you know, after all these years? He's an amazing guy. So, so, so thank you for saying that. You're welcome. See, now, everybody listening to the podcast, I don't know, we're like 80 episodes in or something. Look at that. So I mentioned Tom Petty and there's a conversation. I think, I think we're getting <laughs> somewhere. The, uh, I also, uh, I don't know if there, is there a, I had a couple others, but is there a song for you on the record that stuck out that, people should take notice or at least think about further? You know, I, I think I, I'm excited. We, we have gone back and forth, you know, Mike's made records, Nate's made records. Steve and I have definitely not made records in a long time. Uh, whether the sing, you know, the, the way that we understand records to be made now and the need for singles and that we had all these amazing people kind of pushing stuff and you know we've have we have a kind of you know uh i don't know what you call it a mar it's marketing but whatever whoever gets songs out to be heard in the world that you have to have singles but we get it and so we've released some singles um that said i think we make we make records and so i think this album from start to finish there's an arc i think there's a narrative musically and lyrically we spent a fair amount of time talking about what that might be how it might relate to the artwork I, so i am genuinely excited to hear when people can you know acquire the record legally, what they, what they think of the whole thing. Um, I like in that, I'm, I'm saying all that to say, I like how it opens and closes a lot. I like how it ebbs and flows in the middle. Um, the, I like uh, of the singles, probably my favorite um, to play is that give me the gun one. Cause it, you know, it's, it's got the weird thing. I think born to lose turned out especially well. Um, but I don't dislike anything on the record. I think the songs, you know, there's three or four that are, are more straightforward. And then there's, I would say the rest are in the vein of the kind of thing we did on the first record. And I don't know that we did that deliberately so much as we, we had some songs that seemed like they were so, you know, more, a little bit more straightforward songs and other stuff where they came from the, the, you know, the old, the whole first record was written from Mike and Steve sitting in a room and noodling around together. I'm sure in front of the TV, I never really saw them do it. I only heard it when they brought it to my house. Um, 
they're not obviously hanging out all day in front of the TV together anymore. Everybody's got families and stuff. So it's, it, it makes sense that the songs, you know, some of them will be different because they were written in a different way using different technology. But then once in a while, you know, they would even, even through email, write those kind of back and forth noodles. And I think born, you know, born to lose is an example of, uh, to me, that's one that that's a direct kind of tie to the first record and other stuff is, you know, orbiting around that a little mm-hmm. bit uh, more yeah. outside. I, I think that's good to point out, you know, that something there, you feel that connection to that first one. I think I've been so lost for so long. Um, is yeah. another favorite. Um, those are sort of, it just, it, it, I can, I can close my eyes and kind of feel 1999 again, um, with my shitty haircut and my jinkos. Um, I can feel <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, the other, you know, the other part, um, that I think is interesting is, you guys joked about the last tour kind of having only so many songs to play. Now right. that you have a new record, I implore you when you guys play, please play the whole new record um, front to back because I've heard, we've all heard the older one. I just, for some reason, I think that's such a cool thing. And I don't know for, uh, that would be something I would love because I would be like, I heard all the older stuff forever. Right. I want to hear these things. Have you guys talked about that? Can I help? Uh, can I can I call well, Mike? We've been, no, we've been, we've been rehearsing. You know, we, we're that's the plan anyway. We've we've been we can play them all live, and we're going to try. Um, you know, and then and then that that lets us pick. I think the stuff from the first album that we want to keep playing, um, and it also lets us make a set. Um, that is, you know, kind of reflective of where we are now. It is. It's such a different. You know, the first, I swear, the first 10 or 15 reunion shows, I, I, I so wish we could go back and do Webster Hall again because my only thought that whole time was don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. And then when it was over, it was just like, oh, thank God. You know, I only screwed up six times or whatever. Even after three shows in a row? <laughs> it was it was terrifying, man. I mean, I you know, it truly was terrifying. And I think after a while, you know, now I, I go on and play, and that's the opposite mindset. Now it's like, let me at him. You know, I'm so excited to be doing this. and. And this new music, this is music we've written recently. It's not about, you know, remembering or not screwing up or thinking, oh, my God, they know these songs. It's like, oh, this is a band again, you know. And so we're going to play all the songs because it's a chance to do something different. Um, And then, you know, (laughs) I see bands and it's like, oh, you know, I want a mix of old and new. We're going to play everything. We're not going to play it, you know, front to back in in record order because there are are reasons that we can't do it that way. And and I don't think we want to anyway. But... um, yeah, we're going to play them all. Rad. Uh, you know, I was going to say about the Webster show, I DJed a Sunday night show, um, and I had such a blast because I was like, here's my audience. I can play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. I can play obscure things, and everyone knows what it is. I mean, I found out I found out that Raina Maria walked in, so I played a Raina Maria song just to, you know, embarrass them. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You know, but just it was great to kind of – I remember playing tunes and – it, you just saw people nodding their heads, or I was like, "Ah, oh, this is home." <laughs> this oh, cool! Is like, oh, it was. Yeah, like, it was it's I, funny to re- those fan, that those three nights. I felt it was such a good vibe. Um, I was only there Sunday, but people were telling me about Friday and Saturday, and just yeah. that just the vibe itself seemed to again feel like a community and didn't feel so artificial. Where we're sending Facebook messages back and forth. It was. No- it was incredible, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, and to think about people coming from, you know, literally all over the place to, to those, it was, very, it, was, it was incredibly special. And so I don't mean to say, oh, you know, I wish those nights hadn't happened. Of course, you know, I just, <laughs> I wish I could somehow transport my, and, and have the confidence that I have now, you know, that we all have now, I think, after having done this a bunch. You've got to remember that that was the, maybe the, 
the Webster Hall were the second or third time we'd ever done it in front of people. And Champagne was, you know, almost a blur because there were so many. I hadn't been back to Champagne since I'd left and blah, blah, blah. And so I was overwhelmed by just the kind of return home feel to it. And, but then to go to Webster Hall and not, not really understand what it meant to play there or who these people were going to be or anything else. I mean, I, I wish I could transport myself back into my headspace, but yeah, it was, it was incredibly special and it'll never happen that way again. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, again, that's, that sort of, you, you, you're, you're thinking about that memory, but then you're still sort of stoked about it. Um, I think that's great. Um, oh, so, so stoked. I can't, I'm, I'm so excited for this show coming up and the chance to, you know, to, to start doing some new stuff. And, uh, well, speaking of that, yeah, really excited. I mean, the talking about the future, you know, is there anything you personally want to do after this sort of moment? You've got the new record coming later. You know, you've got, um, you know, obviously probably some touring. But is there anything else you're sort of like, God, I wish we could, you know, do this? Or not necessarily with American football, but is there stuff that you've – has it rekindled your own playing um, for uh, other things? You know, I, I, I got to – yeah, because I, I, I teach and I've got research stuff that I have to do, you know, and I obviously I have my kids and my family. And so, so those, those, are, those are awfully important. You know, family's obviously the most important of those things and, and my work stuff. I, I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, this, this, this is the coolest semi-part – not even semi – not even part-time, semi-part-time job anybody could ask for, especially me. Uh, and so I'm trying not to overthink it. I, I certainly am excited to play these gigs. You know, if it's if it's possible to make more music together in the future, and somebody wants us to do it, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Because as long as it's fun, I think we've we've made that clear to, to ourselves and one another. It's it's got to keep being the good time it's been. Otherwise, there is no point in doing this. Um, and so all I can say about the future is, you know, I, I, I'm excited to come to, to play. We've got these shows booked, and, you know, it's possible at least that we're going to play some more uh, somewhere or other. Just kind of take it day by day and enjoy it for what it is, because uh, if if it ever gets to be something else or feel too much like work, we all have other work that feels like work because it is work, and we don't want this to be that. So um, I think that's that's pretty much all I can say about it. I love it. I mean, I love your sort of point about this is the coolest part-time job ever. It, oh, my God, it totally is. Every time for two or three days, it's like, oh, I'm so excited to see the guys and hang out and play. And then after about three days, it's like, I got to go home and raise my kids because my wife is, you know, doing <laughs> double duty or whatever. I got to go home and make sure that I, I don't get fired. I think, I, I think this, is, this happened to me at exactly the right time and exactly the right age. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It means a lot to you to take the time and, and to say such nice things. I really do appreciate it. That was episode 79 of the Washed Up Email podcast with Steve Lamos. Once again, if you use the code Washed Up in all one word at polyvinylrecords.com, you get 10% off your order. I wish I could have used that, to be honest. See you tomorrow with episode 80 and Mike Kinsella. I think you've heard of him.